Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Anybody got their Bibles with them this morning? Awesome. If you don't mind, can you turn with me or tap with me, whatever you got, a phone or a Bible, or you can pay attention to the screen. We're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 11, verse 13 through 18. Romans chapter 11, verse 13 through 18. Anybody ready for the word this morning? I'm going to try to keep it short today. I'll do my best. And it says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Roman church. And as he's writing, he says this. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Can somebody say Gentiles? Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, it is someone who isn't of Jewish descent or heritage, and it's someone who isn't Jew, which would be a majority of us probably in here today. I did the Ancestry.com thing, and I found out 2% Jewish, but, you know, not quite there, but Gentiles. And then he continues to say, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. Interesting wording. And thus save some of them. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as what? First fruits is holy. There's our word. So is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are what? The branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, we're grafted, and what that word means, grafted, it means to be transplanted. In other words, to be moved from one plant to another. Pastor, Bo- uh, Pastor Robin mentioned that during his closing scripture last Sunday. Anybody enjoy last Sunday's message with Pastor Robin? Encourage you, go back and listen to it. It was so good. We're grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Don't become boastful or prideful to other parts of the tree. If you remember, if you are, remember, it is not you. Get this. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So good, right? The title for this morning's message is this. Take root and bear fruit. Take root and bear fruit. That's our prayer and a desire for you today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather in your presence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that your mercies are new every single morning, God. Thank you for waking us up today, God, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have here together. In Jesus' name, and if you believe that, can somebody say amen? Oh, come on, can somebody say amen? Can you go ahead and give Jesus an ovation of worship, a hand clap? Thank you, Lord. Have your way. Anoint these words, Lord. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. This month, y'all, is a significant month for me um, because it actually makes six months of my wife and I, Brooklyn, being married. And marriage truly is a blessing, but I've also come to understand the statement. Some of the men will understand what I mean by this. I've come to understand the statement, happy wife, happy life. Can I hear an amen from all the men? 
But as I begin to reflect and think back on these past few months and begin to think about our wedding and the engagement, I, I begin to be reminded about a story of when I was planning to propose to Brooklyn. I had just saved up enough money to buy Brooklyn a ring, and I wanted to do something special for her that she wouldn't forget. And uh, I told, you know, my brother-in-law, Pastor CG, my plan, and he told me this. He said, hey, bro, take it from me. Word of advice, wherever you plan to go, whatever you plan to do, make sure that you go to that location beforehand, walk through it, get a good game plan, so that way everything goes according to plan. So that's exactly what we did. Me and my siblings, we took a little secret trip. I got off of work, and we drove to Austin, Texas, and I came up with this elaborate plan. And, and, and this was my plan. I'll, I'll, let me give you some background, first of all. The reason we decided Austin is because Brooklyn, at one point, she had an opportunity to move to Austin. She was strongly considering it to attend UT because she was one of the top-ranking graduates in her class, and she got accepted into every college in Texas. Not me, right? I was like, I'm going to be a ministry preacher. I don't need to know calculus right now. Wrong mindset, okay? Wrong mindset. But if she would have moved there, there was a high chance that me and her wouldn't have dated and eventually gotten married. But she prayed about it, she sought God about it, and she decided to stay here in Victoria, attend the college here, and be an intern. And that's where we met, really, in the internship, really got to know one another. And um, whenever I had enough guts to ask Brooklyn out on the first date, I took her to this place, a Thai food restaurant called Thai Orchid. Not sure if you've ever heard of it before. Um, but it was this old Victorian house that they had converted into a restaurant. And on the very front of this building, if you go there, there's the name, there's the logo, but there's, this, there's also a picture of this pink cherry blossom tree. So with all that in mind, y'all, I was planning this proposal. In fact, yeah, it's a little too early to put that up there, but I guess, you know, you go ahead and put it back up there. It's fine. Check it out, y'all. So this is the plan. The plan was this. I came across a picture online of a courtyard on the UT campus, and I also saw within this courtyard, it was called the Goldsmith Courtyard, that they had these beautiful pink cherry blossom trees that were there. Now look at that, y'all. That looks like something off the notebook, off a romance movie or whatever. And I was, show, I was showing my siblings a picture of this beforehand. I said, y'all, this is where I'm going to get engaged. And I was so excited to be able to see it in person. And I began to play and replay the moment in my mind as I'm on my two-year anniversary date with Brooklyn. The following week, we decide just to walk on the UT campus, walk through memory lane, walk into this courtyard. She sees these beautiful pink cherry blossom trees. She's like, oh my gosh, you know, isn't it crazy, UT, these pink cherry blossoms? I'm going to say, I know, and I'm, she's going to turn around, and I'm going to be right here. Tears are going to be falling down her face. The family's going to come out. We're going to be celebrating, and it's all happening in this courtyard with pink cherry blossom trees because everything's coming full circle. That's what I thought, y'all. <laughs> it wasn't until we walked into this courtyard, and I saw where the cherry blossom tree should have been, and I saw this, and my dreams were crushed. Y'all have the next picture, y'all? Check this out. Not one pink flower, not one cherry, just some leaves, but no blossoming, right? 
And in that moment, y'all, like, I, I was like, oh my goodness, what in the world, what happened? Come to find out some cherry blossom trees only blossom one week out of the year. And your boy has been waiting his whole life for you know what. And I wasn't about to wait one more year in order to get engaged and get married and get, nor was I about to propose to Brooklyn underneath this tree, right? Can you imagine the photos of me underneath this tree getting engaged? So in that moment, everything went out the window. We had to regroup. We scrambled. Remember, we went to like four or five other places, and I was a little worried and concerned. But thank God, we found the place. Everything worked out, and me and Brooklyn got engaged the following week. So word of advice, if you plan on getting on your knee, go to the place beforehand. Trust me, it'll probably save you a lot of time, and you'll get a better photo. But why do I share that with you this Sunday morning is because uh, I was frustrated due to there being no blossoming or fruitfulness from this tree. And that story also reminds me of another story that we find in Scripture of Jesus and a fig tree. Now, maybe you have or maybe you haven't heard of this story. I encourage you to read it when you get a chance. But in the Gospel of Mark and also in the Gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus a week before his crucifixion as he's traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem, and as he's walking and traveling, because any time that he would go into Jerusalem, many times he had a house to stay at in Bethany. And one day him and his disciples are walking, and the scripture says that Jesus was hungry. So what does Jesus do? Him being hungry, the scripture says he sees a fig tree from a distance that has leaves growing on the tree. So that meant that there should have been fruit on the tree. As he gets closer to inspect the tree, he notices that there's no fruit on the tree. Now, the scripture also says that it wasn't the season for figs to be growing on the tree, but the fact that there were leaves on the tree was a sign that it was an early bloomer because before there would ever be leaves on a fig tree, fruit would come before that. So Jesus goes to get a little snack, get a little something to eat, finds no fruit on the fig tree. So guess what Jesus does? Jesus curses the fig tree, and he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Then he walks about his business. He keeps on going, right? Curses the fig tree. Then we find in the following day, Jesus and his disciples are walking past that same tree, and the disciples notice that the, the root of the fig tree that he cursed is beginning to wither away and that it wasn't able to produce fruit again. Now, I know, I know that sounds like a random and an odd story, and maybe you thought the same thing I did, and you thought, man, what did Jesus have against that tree? Like, what did that tree ever do to Jesus? Can I tell you something real quick? It wasn't really about the tree. It wasn't about the tree. It was about what the tree represented. See, because as you begin to study scripture, you'll discover that in the Old Testament, a fig tree was often used to symbolically represent the nation of Israel. We see one of the instances of this in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, where it says this, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel like the first fruit, somebody say first fruit, on the fig tree in its first season. I saw your, and it continues to go on, but in other words, the nation of Israel was supposed to be fruitful. They were supposed to bear and have fruit as a nation. 
But that's not how Jesus found a majority of the nation of Israel. He found them more like how the prophet Jeremiah spoke in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, where it says this. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13. Y'all got that scripture, y'all? There we go. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. In other words, when Jesus came and found the nation of Israel, many of them were spiritually unfruitful, and they had been corrupted and influenced by the religion of that time. It's no wonder that right after Jesus curses the victory, the scripture says that he goes straight into the temple. And when he goes into the temple, which was supposed to be a place of worship, a place where humanity would connect with divinity, a place that was his father's house, supposed to be a house of prayer, what does he find? He finds thieves, robbers, money changers, taking advantage of other people, people selling sacrificial animals at such outrageous prices where certain people couldn't even pay to have their sins atoned. And they kept people with disabilities outside of the temple saying, you can't come past this line. You're not worthy or good enough. So Jesus steps onto the scene. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, seeing everything that's taking place, full of righteous anger, he was zealous and jealous for his father's house he begins to flip over the tables of the money changers he begins to chase people out of the temple some gospels say even with the whip can you imagine jesus going crazy chasing people out of the temple then welcoming the lame and the blind in can i tell you something it wasn't that jesus was hangry because there was no fruit on the fig tree he wasn't hangry do you know what it was? Jesus was sick and tired of the nation of Israel having the appearance of fruitfulness on the outside with their religion, with their sacrifices, with their ceremonies, with their rules and man-made regulations, but inwardly they were spiritually barren and spiritually dry and spiritually dead. They had leaves, but there was no fruit. Oh, come on. It reminds me. Think back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, read it when you get a chance in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember what they did after they sinned and they ate of the forbidden fruit? The scripture says that they took fig leaves, fig leaves, sewed them together to try to cover themselves up. They knew that they had messed up, and they tried to cover their spiritual and physical nakedness and they tried to, to cover themselves up, and they thought that the fig leaves would be sufficient to guard and protect and hide their sin from God, but God saw right through their vain attempt of them trying to cover up their sin, and that's a lot like religion. A lot like religion, because you know what religion will do? Religion will make you feel safe, but religion doesn't make you saved. 
Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can do that for us in order to produce fruit in our life. Come on, abide in me as I abide in you. We don't just visit and date God on the weekends. No, we are with Jesus every single day. So what Jesus was doing was he was using this fig tree as an example to show them and show us that if we are truly rooted and grounded and established and connected to him, that the proof is not in the leaves, the proof is in the fruit. It's in the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control that the Holy Spirit produces. I wish somebody would back me right now. That produces in our hearts and that overflows into the rest of our lives. What am I trying to say? That if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a Christian, guess what? You have to bear fruit. Something should be evident in your life that's different than what the world has to offer when you go into your job, when you're around those friends, when you're around that family. Question, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing? I'm not saying that good works are the cause of salvation. No, good works are not the cause of salvation. You know what good works are? Good works are the effect of salvation. There should be a parallel and a difference between your life B.C., before Christ, and then after Christ. See, that's why Jesus also tells us in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 5, he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every what? Branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the problem that the nation of Israel had was they thought that they could be fruitful apart from Christ. The scripture says that Jesus came unto his own, his own people, his own lineage, his very own people. Jesus came to them, but his own received him not. And by doing so, they cut themselves off from the very one that came to save them. Which takes us back to our opening scripture in Romans chapter 11, where the apostle Paul is writing to the Gentiles. He's, he's writing and he's speaking. It's relevant to us as well. And he's telling them how many branches or much of the nation of Israel, they've been cut off from the tree root. They had been cut off from God due to their disbelief in Jesus Christ. That they were once connected but they've cut themselves off due to, see, that's why we need to pray for the Jewish nation and the nation of Israel that God would begin to remove the scales off their eyes and that they would see Jesus Christ as he truly is, that he wasn't just a good teacher, that he wasn't just a good man, he wasn't just a good prophet for the anointing. He was the son of God. He was the visible image of an invisible God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He 
He is Yahshua HaMashiach. He's the one that came into this world. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. But who's thankful that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Come on. He seated on high. And John chapter 3, 16 says, for, oh, come on, somebody. For God so loves the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Come on. And that is good news for us as Gentiles, because can I tell you something? We were once all far away from God. Like the Apostle Paul said, we were like wild olive shoots, growing here, growing there, going with the wind, lost, not attached to anything strong. That's what we were like. But now, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says that we have been grafted and transplanted and attached to something much bigger than ourselves. And guess what? That means that all the promises that you find in the word of God isn't just available for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the nation of Israel. But guess what? You've been grafted and adopted as children of the most high God and you're a part of something greater than yourself. How could that be possible? How does that make sense? Well, it's all because of a root and his name is Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, somebody. His name is Jesus Christ, who the scripture says is the root of David. And when we're connected to the nourishing root, who is Jesus, we can produce fruit in our life. I wish somebody would just thank God for the fact that you've been grafted into the family of God. Thank you, Lord. Uh, come on. See, that's why our mantra that's why our saying as a church is this right here. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. That he is like a tree planted by streams of water, and it continues to say, that yields fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither, and all he does, he prospers. We're connected to Christ. We're connected with one another. It's greater than just us. God wants you to produce fruit in your life. But here's the catch. You are only as fruitful as you are rooted. You are only as fruitful as you are rooted. See, we need to understand. We need to understand our place and position and have a revelation understanding of what Christ has done for us and not get the big head. Because that's what the Apostle Paul continued to say in Romans chapter 11. He said this, don't think of yourself better than the other branches, whether Jew or Gentile. It's not you that support the root. It's the root that supports you. In other words, I want to tell it to you like this. This is the first and only point I want to give you this morning. That the part that we play isn't greater than what we're part of. On a Sunday like today, the part that we play isn't greater than what we're part of. Because here's what can happen. If we're not careful, on a first fruit Sunday like today, or as we serve God throughout the year, or as we sacrifice and labor and sow into the kingdom of God, we can have the wrong mindset, the wrong motive, and be under the misconception that what we've done for God and what we've done for the church is is somehow greater than what the church and God has done for us. But don't be mistaken. 
What we've done for God and what we've done for the church is honestly small and minuscule compared to what God and the church has done for us. Now, I'm not saying you aren't important. I'm not saying that you're valued, but what I'm saying is you're not that important. Come on, somebody. That, yes, we each have a part to play. We each have a way to participate in the body of Christ. But can I tell you something? What God is doing right now in this church and other churches in Victoria and throughout the, the whole world, this is much greater than just one person, than just us. Oh, come on. I don't know about you. I don't know where my life would be or who I would be if it wasn't for God using the local church, using my church family to pour into me and to develop me and disciple me. Whether I was in nursery with a dirty diaper, because, y'all, I grew up in church my whole life, y'all. I'm so thankful. Or in Sunday school, you have no idea, parents, what difference you are making in the lives of your children as you're bringing them to Sunday school and they're being taught the word of God and seeds are being deposited in their heart. Train up a child in the way that they should go and when they grow older they shall not depart. Or whenever I was in youth group or whenever I was joining, whenever I was in a young adult or whatever it may be or if I'm in a main service like this, can I tell you I received the, the, the call of God in this church. I received prophetic words that I'm walking in today through this church. I was baptized in the water and filled with the Holy Ghost in this church. There's been times where I would come up to the altar and I felt bound. I felt bro broke, busted, and disgusted, but I, I received deliverance by the power of the Holy Spirit in this church. Come on, as I look around, there, many of you, you've made a difference in my life. We need one another. God has connected me with brothers and sisters in Christ, lifelong. For goodness sake, I met my wife in this church right there on the seventh row back. Went up to our family. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? What, what's your name? You know, so like, oh, come on. Can, can anybody... Be honest in this place and raise your hand if you would say that the church of Jesus Christ has made a radical or major impact in your life. Because God has connected us with one another. See, you may not know all the stories in this room. Many of us, we were lost in the world doing our own thing. We were bound up in sin and addiction. We should have lost our mind a long time ago, been locked up, been six feet under, whatever. But thanks be to God for grafting us and taking us and connecting us to something so much bigger than just ourselves. And guess what? What we are seeing God do is something that will not only impact you, but will impact your children for generations to come. We're not just thinking about the next five years. We're thinking about the next 50 Come on, is anybody thankful for the church of Jesus Christ? Oh, you do understand one of the reasons that Jesus laid his life down and he shed his blood and he was hung up on the cross was to establish the local church, to establish his bride. He has paid the price. Think about this. This came to me. What happened whenever Adam was in the garden and he needed God wanted to see, it's not good for man to be alone. What did he do? He took the rib from Adam's side to make his bride. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that when Jesus was hung up on the cross, the Roman soldiers stabbed him in his side. Water and blood. What am I trying to say? Jesus died for this thing. He died for you. It's much more than just a building, y'all. It's much more than a 501c3, like, nonprofit organization. It's not an organization. The church is an organism. We're living. We're breathing. We're connected. We're grafted. It's bigger than just any one of us. Oh, come on, somebody. Can somebody thank Jesus for paying the ultimate price? Thank you, Lord. Come on, Alicia. You can go ahead and come up. Somebody say, Jesus is the root. We are the branches. What am I trying to convey to you this morning? That whether we realize it or not, we are connected to one another because of what Christ has done for us. And it's much bigger than just one of us. And as I think, whenever I begin to think about this and the church and what God is fixing to do through this first fruits offering as God leads us, I begin to think about redwood trees and a redwood tree forest. I don't know if anybody ever seen one of these trees before. If anybody plans to go hiking there soon, I would love to be your hiking buddy for that. I want to see one of those massive trees. Huge trees. Some of the tallest trees on earth. Get this. They grow as tall as 350 feet, y'all. They weigh as much as 500 tons. They live for centuries. They can withstand just about anything that you throw at them. Fire, flood, storms, earthquakes. Those trees are going to be there a lot longer than we are. But here's what's interesting. These trees, even though they're some of the most tallest trees on earth, they only go, their roots only go about 10 feet into the ground. How could something so tall have roots that go only 10 feet in the ground? And here's what blew my mind. Get this. The reason is, is because as the roots go into the ground, they begin to spread out and be connected with one another. These trees may not look like it. These trees are literally holding and supporting one another up. And here's what's even more amazing. These trees, they're willing and they're able to share the nutrients, the water, and the resources that they, that they have with one another so that way the needs of other trees can be met. So if there's one tree by the river, that one tree will allow the water to go through its roots to the next root, to the next root, till every need is met. This is my conclusion. My conclusion is this, that Christ has connected us together to be a blessing. And I felt like the Lord just wanted me to say this, that we as a church in our lives are supposed to look a lot like this redwood tree forest that we just had up there. Where we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from above. I'm not in ownership, Lord. I'm just in stewardship. Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. I don't, I don't want to be blessed to be bloated. I want to be blessed to be a blessing. 
and allow God to move on your heart as God has produced fruit in your life to be a blessing so that way the needs of other people in this church and that way the needs of the church can be met. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what God is going to do throughout the duration of this year in and through this church, to see the souls that will be saved. Oh, come on, somebody. To see the marriages that will be restored, to see the people that will be set free and delivered, to see the youth that will find their purpose, to see fruit produced, to see disciples made. It's not just about a building. It's about the kingdom of God. What we're doing as a church, we are seeing people's eternal destinations be changed. Eternal addresses are swinging in the balance. And the only answer and the only hope that we have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it should compel us to do something as God begins to lead us. And there's something powerful, y'all. I know I'm just like sweating, I'm crying, I'm wet right now. Thank you, Lord. But who knows? It's so refreshing to be a blessing. It is better to give than it is to receive, right? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will himself be watered. I don't know what it is, but as we live a life of generosity, as we are a blessing to other people, God has a way of working in our hearts. We're connected. We've been grafted. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves. Is there anybody in this place that's so thankful that you're part of the, of the body of Christ? We've been grafted. Come on, we want to make a difference. Come on, can you stand your feet this Sunday morning? Anybody receive this word? I wonder if we can just pray together right now as we get our hearts ready. Maybe you, you do or don't know the person next to you. If you don't mind, can you just go ahead? Can we just connect with one another? Maybe hold hands, hold arms, lock, whatever it may be. I have a sign that we're not doing this by ourselves. Can you imagine what we could see take place, y'all? Because can I tell you something right now? What God is doing right now and what's being represented by us linking arms together, the devil is afraid of that. Oh, you do know that the devil isn't afraid of a big church. The devil is afraid of a united church that comes together in one mind and one accord. So right now, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have here today. I feel the anointing. I thank you, Lord, right now that you are moving that you're moving on the hearts of people, that you are building your church, that on this rock you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We thank you, Lord, that your hand is on this church. We thank you, Lord, right now as we honor you and put you first, that you shall supply and meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for the souls. We thank you, Lord, for the deliverances. We thank you, Lord, for the baptisms. We thank you, Lord. We lock hands together. We lock hands together. We're connected by Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus. We worship you today. Oh, come on. If you believe that, can you go ahead and give God a shout of praise in this place? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Before we give it, yes, just come on. Past Bobby comes up. Can we just sing this out before we leave? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.